Kim, are you on the line? Let's see. I don't see you coming up. So I will go ahead and just say welcome to Relationship Game Changers to the call. We are so grateful to have you on tonight. And I am standing in for Kim Moore as she takes a much-needed break and some rest. And we're so grateful you're here with us tonight. And we're just here to just really be relationship game changers in every relationship in our lives and just to glorify Jesus together. And I am so excited that tonight we have Richard with us, Brother Richard, who has been praying with us for quite some time, and he is quite the prayer warrior and teacher of the word. And Richard, I'm so glad you're with us. Please take your liberty. And Richard, you can star six. You hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, we can hear you. Okay. <laughs> Praise the Lord. <laughs> Well, let's just open in a word of prayer here, and then we'll we'll get into what the Lord has for us tonight. Father, we just come to you in the blessed name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we worship you, and we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father, King of kings and Lord of lords. Oh, we thank you, Father, for your merciful, loving kindness towards us, Lord God. We thank you, Father God, for giving us the word of the living God. We thank you, Father God, that you give us the opportunity to speak the word, Father God, to listen, to hear, to meditate, Father God, on its life-giving attributes, Lord. And Father, tonight, as our our prayer time was on grace, Lord God, I heard Brother Renner uh, teaching on this just before um, I got on the line, and he gave the uh, definition from the Greek uh, Septuagint. Bible, uh, and it says that grace is special power impacted by God a specific, for a specific time with outward evidence, supernatural ability to do the things that we couldn't do, a divine spell. And I thought, wow, you know, look at that, you know. And, uh, uh, and that, that's who we are. We're, we're people of grace. But uh, Lord, what the Lord put on my heart tonight um, is I'm sure we've all heard this um, teaching in some form or another, but it has kind of uh, bothered me through, through the years, um, especially regarding the covenant of marriage. And I want to go back to... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 17, uh, if, you're, if you're taking notes there, um, or, if, or if you want to write any of this down, but um, God showed me this, you know, because I, I always wondered about the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah and uh, all this multiplication of wives and all, all the, uh, the damage and, uh, that it led to, and um, and I got to looking in Deuteronomy one day, and in verse uh, 14 of chapter 17, it says, When you come to the land which the Lord your God gives you, gives you 
and you possess it, and you live there and then say, we will set a king over us like all the nations that are about us. Now, this, this was hundreds of years before that actually occurred, before Samuel anointed Saul to be the first king. But in Deuteronomy, before they ever entered into the promised land, God is warning them about the dangers of this. And it says, You shall surely set as king over you him who the Lord your God will choose. One from among your brethren, you shall set a king over you. You may not set a foreigner who is not your brother over you. But he shall not multiply horses to himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to multiply horses. Since the Lord said to you, you shall never return that way. And he shall not multiply wives to himself that his mind and heart not not his mind and heart turn not away, neither shall he greatly multiply to himself silver and gold. And when he sits on his royal throne, he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book, and out of it, it and out of what is before the Levitical priest, and he shall keep it with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life that he may learn reverently to fear the Lord, his God, by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his mind and heart may not be lifted up above the brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, so that he may continue long, he and his sons, in his kingdom in Israel." Well, if you, if you know anything at all about the Bible, all of these disasters happened with the kings of uh, Israel and the kings of Judah. That, uh, and if you go, um, if we go, uh, we'll go a little later to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 8. But at 1 Samuel chapter 8 is where the people demanded a king. And they demanded that we be, they be like other nations. And Samuel gives them a warning of what will happen to them if they choose a king, of what he will exact from them in taxes, what he will exact from them and their sons and daughters, what he will exact from them in, uh, in building his military and building his palaces. Uh, and, uh, but they said, no, we will have a king to rule over us. And the Lord said to Samuel, he said, you know, they have not rejected you but they have rejected me. It was the heart of God to always be their king. It was the heart of God to rule over them, but they rejected the Lord. And, when, and in doing so, even, even though God made the choice of their first king and he made the choice of David and he made the choice of Solomon, but even in doing so, they were men, and they were men with weaknesses and frailties and you know, we're going to be looking at that a little bit tonight, but it ties right into the theme that we were praying, the grace of God, how God was so gracious to his people and how he delivered him, them in these different situations. But uh, we're going to look uh, primarily at the, at the life of David here, and we're going to look at a, at, at a particular area here that um, really isn't... Um, 
what people usually teach about David. And we know that he was a man after God's own heart. We know that he, he was the sweet psalmist of Israel. We, knew, we know that he was a prophet. We know that he operated in, in the office of uh, a priest also, Father. And, and Father, but even, even that as great a man that he was, he fell into into things um, that were were he was never meant to go into. I I, I heard a man say it the other day that uh, that he just glanced uh, at a woman and uh, you know he was drawn into this thing. But as I began to study this years ago, uh, I saw that it that it really didn't operate that way. It it uh, it operated the way the Book of James says that. That, that sin is conceived in the heart, and when we think on it, we think on it, then it turns to lust, and then, then when lust brings forth, uh, you know, the actions uh, of whatever particular thing it is that we're thinking on, and uh, we're going we're gonna to start um, in Second Samuel, Second Samuel, <laughs> Samuel, Second uh, Samuel chapter eleven, and and we're going to look at it from this standpoint, and we're going to look at uh, the depths of this thing because we 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 just we don't we don't count the cost, and in these days that we're living in right now, over and over I've been hearing this. It's days of great deception. All kinds of lying things that are going on. Uh, you can't you can't believe the labels that are on your food. You know, I mean, uh, just um, just everything is just full of deception. Uh, people's word isn't worth hardly anything anymore. What used to be in this this country uh, a bond, a person's word was their bond. We, we're not seeing those things. We're seeing this deterioration in our society. And um, David fell into this thing. Uh, it says, in the spring, when kings go forth to battle, David sent Joab with his servants and all Israel and to make war against the Ammonites. But David remained in Jerusalem. And most of the time this has been looked at, well, this was just... You know, David was just out of place. But as I began to search into this further, I began to find out something about, uh, first of all, I began to look at the life of Uriah and who he was. And Uriah was one of David's 30 mighty men. And the Bible says that he had been with David since the caves of Adullam. Well, the caves of Adullam is where Saul was chasing him, you know, from all over the countryside, and that was like over three decades. So this relationship between Uriah and David was a long relationship. And when that, when that particular time in history, David only had a few hundred men. So no doubt him and Uriah had fought side by side for many, many years uh, probably had saved each other's lives in battle. But, but certainly, this, this was a man that was known to, to uh, David. And we look, look at this situation, and uh, Uriah's house was so close to the king's palace that 
that the king could look out over the roof and recognize the people in, in that house. Well, those of you who know real estate, or most of us have heard this expression, that the, the biggest thing in real estate is location, location, location. Well, this man was so close to the king's palace that, that like I said, he, he could look over and see uh, Bathsheba. So he knew. He knew who lived there. He knew that, that Bathsheba was going to be there and she was going to be there alone because he made sure of it. He stayed and he carried. Now, that might seem a, a little... Uh, out there, but bear with me for a minute. Eliam was uh, Bathsheba's father. Eliam was also one of David's mighty men. That means he had been with him for 30 to 35 years in the caves of Adullam. So this this household was very well known, you know. And then if you go a little further in the word, you'll find that David's personal counselor, Ahiothopal was Bathsheba's grandfather, and she was the last of the daughters of Eliam. So, so this was, her, and the Bible says of Ahiothopal that when a man counseled with Ahiothopal, it was as he counseled with God. So this was a man of God, and he was David's personal counselor. So. <clears throat> So we have this situation now where the king has decided in his heart that he is going to take this woman. And if you look at verse 3 of chapter 11, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam and the wife of Uriah, Uriah the Hittite? Well, in Jewish culture at that time, a woman was always identified by who her father was. When this servant told him, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite, I believe he knew exactly what David was up to. And he, he, it was in the last attempt of the Holy Spirit, I believe, to warn David of what he was about to do. And he went and he took this woman, he took, took her from his house, brought him to her, and we know the story, you know, uh, that she became pregnant. And, and she told David she was with child. Now, this, this next part here is, is difficult to, to grasp because immediately when David found out, he, he made plans, first of all, to bring... Uh, Uriah back and to, to get him to go and uh, stay with his wife and that failed. Uriah wouldn't do that when the rest of the men were out in the field and, and uh, the Ark of the Covenant was out there. He just wouldn't do it. David tried to get him drunk and, uh, and it, you know, uh, but that didn't work out either. He ended up sleep, sleeping uh, with the servants, you know. Uh, when that occurred, David told Uriah, you know, uh, that David wrote a letter to Joab to have Uriah put in the front lines of the battle and then to withdraw from him. And he sent the letter by the hand of Uriah to Joab, the commander. And uh, 
the the tragedy of of this, you know, um, that this man who had been loyal to him all of his life, his wife's father who had been loyal to him all of his life, David's personal counselor, the man who, who David counseled with, the man whose counsel was as if a man counseled with God himself, he sent this man out to be killed. And the Lord showed me something about this. Because Uriah was, had been with David for so long, because he was one of the 30 mighty men, he was no insignificant man in the army himself. He was probably a captain of a 1,000. And when he was sent to the forefront of the battle, he didn't go out there by himself. And when they withdrew, and they withdrew from Uriah's company, most of the men in his company died that day along with him. So the cost was extremely great of what he, what he had planned and plotted out to do. For this, for this one moment, you know, for, the, for these few moments uh, uh, to gratify the flesh, and the thing of it is, is if you study the life of David, he already had hundreds of concubines and hundreds of wives. You know, he, he had, I mean, just a ridiculous uh, amount of, of wives, you know. And it takes us back to what Deuteronomy was saying there at the beginning, that the kings were not to multiply wives, that it, that it would turn their hearts and not to multiply silver and gold, not to multiply other things. But in, in, but in this case, it was somebody else's wife. And it wasn't just any, any old stranger. This, this was a man that, that was, was close and dear to, to David's heart. But his heart was completely callous at this point. He, he, he sent that letter off, and he had, he had no no regrets whatsoever about what he was doing. Because if you go on here uh, a little bit further, uh, when the messenger sent to David uh, of, uh, of the results of the battle, uh, and, and it says here, this said, then David said to the messenger, say to jo- Joab, let not this thing disturb you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Strengthen your ta- attack upon the city and overthrow it. And, I'm sorry, I should have started at the verse before, but the archers shot at your servants from the wall. Some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So <clears throat> some of the servants, a lot of other innocent people died that day. A lot of, of other wives became widows that day. A lot of other children lost their father that day because of this, this act. And, and it, so it, God gave so many opportunities for this not to happen. And you know by the faithfulness of God, if you know you've ever been in a situation where you've been tempted, uh, and we all have, God's always there to warn us. He's always, he said, there's no temptation that's taken you, but that which is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability to resist. So, so everything was there, but David, 
decided and he made a choice. And he ended up taking uh, uh, Bathsheba into his house and to make her his wife, making her him, <laughs> forgive me, to make Bathsheba his uh, wife. But then the Lord sent Nathan to him. And Nathan told him this, this story about the two men in the city, the one rich and the other poor. And the rich man had the, all the great flocks and herds. The poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and brought up and uh, grew up with him. And, and, uh, and the rich man uh, took, took the uh, flock from the, from the poor, took the lamb from the poor man and prepared it for his guests. Well, it says, then David's anger was greatly kindled against that man, and he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this is worthy of death. He shall restore the lamb fourfold, and because he did this thing and had no pity, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. Now listen, listen to this. This, this is, man, this, is, this kind of broke my heart when I read it. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king of Israel. I delivered you out of the hand of Saul, and I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added that much more. Why have you despised the commandment of the Lord, doing evil in his sight? You have slain Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife. You have murdered him with the sword of the Amorites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house because you have not, not only despised my command, but you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Interesting that the Lord says, you have despised me. Man, that, that really gripped me. I thought, oh my God. You know, I mean, uh, thus says the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbors. And he shall lie with your wives in the sight of the sun. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the Son. And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord and given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child that is born to you shall surely die. Now, David had committed this great sin of adultery and murder under the law. Under the law, he was supposed to die. There was no other way for it. But God had pardoned him. And the Lord showed me through other messages I've heard and for other things that I've learned. If you go to Psalm 32 here, verses 1 and 2, it says, Blessed, happy, fortunate, to be envied, 
is he who has forgiveness of his transgressions continually exercised upon him, whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Well, that's new covenant. David got moved in that time period. He crossed over into that place where sin was completely covered. Under the law, under the way he lived, under the era that he lived, that was not the case. But God imputed that to him. In Psalm 51, you'll read about it again, the same thing, that, that David, everything he did was worthy of death. But the Lord stepped in because the Lord had made a covenant with David years and years before that. Because of his heart, his heart towards God, he said, there'll never fail a man of yours to sit upon the throne. And if you trace the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ all the way back to David, I mean, there were some wild characters that, that were in there, but, but God was faithful. He was faithful. He was faithful to his man. And he's faithful to us. The grace of God, the grace of God covers us. It covers us when we screw up really bad. It covers us when we do things that are, are just outrageous. It covers us when we do things that we know we ought not to do. And Father, I thank you. I thank you for that. Oh God, I thank you for the grace of God. I thank you, Lord. The interesting thing here is that after the child had died, after David had fasted and prayed for a week for, the, for uh, Bathsheba's child uh, that she was carrying by him, the, 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 the child died. And David went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. That, that Father, his heart came back to the Lord that you restored to him a clean heart, that, that you brought him back. Father, that the price he paid was great because if you, if you read on in there, his son rebelled against him, uh, tried to take his throne. There was a civil war that was fought. Uh, his personal counselor, Ahithopo, joined with Absalom uh, um, <clears throat> and... And God, God sent people to confound uh, the um, council of Ahithophel, and Absalom didn't listen to it. And had he, uh, David would have died. But, but the Lord restored him. The Lord restored him to his throne, and then He gave, uh, then uh, David uh, and Bathsheba conceived again, and the Lord gave him Solomon. And Solomon, the Bible says, was the wisest man that ever lived. And, and Father, if you read about the early years of Solomon, you, feel, you see that the Lord appeared to him twice, that he had a heart after God, that he was full of the Lord, that, that his only desire was to rule and, over his people with justice and, and, uh, and uh, just... Uh, even out of all of that, God, God was still there. 
still there to bless. And, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord, that we can run to you whenever we mess up, Lord. That, Father, whenever we trip and stumble, Lord God, help us, Father, to run to you and not from you, Lord God. I pray for these precious people on this line. I pray that this word touched them in some way, Lord God. I pray, Father God, that no matter what, Father God, that, 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 that has occurred in their lives, Lord God, I thank you, Father God, that you make a way back. I thank you, Father, if you have to move them from one area of time to another, Lord God, like you did with David, Father God, that you moved him into a period of grace that wasn't allowed under the law. Father, it was only obedience. And so, Father, I thank you. I thank you, Father God. And I praise you, Lord God, for the word of God. I thank you, Father God, for the great faithfulness of you to your people, Lord God. I thank you, Father, when you make covenant with a man or a woman, Father God, that you keep it, Lord God. And the covenant of marriage, I think, is one of the most sacred, Lord God. And I thank you, Father God, that that hundreds of years before these sins ever occurred, Father, you warned your people in all those years that David was sitting out with the sheep, looking into the skies, reading the word. He talked about his love for the word, that he read the word constantly. He read that over and over and over again, and he made a conscious choice to ignore it. But even in that, even in that kind of disobedience, there was the Lord. There he was at the end, that with his hand outstretched, ready to forgive. Yes, it cost him dearly. It did cost him dearly. But Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that, that he was restored. He was restored to you. And Father, we'll, we'll need him in heaven one day. And Father God, I thank you. I thank you and I give you praise, Lord God. And may we glean from this tonight, Lord God, your goodness, your kindness, your wisdom. May it strengthen us, Father, when the enemy tries to plant something in our mind and, or tries to lure us and, and drag us into something, get us into offense, get us out of the love walk, get, get anything to open the door in our lives. Father, it said what? It said when the sower sowed the word, Father, immediately the devil came to steal it away. So, Father, help us to be on guard. Help us to be so close to you, Father God, so intimate with you, Lord, that we instantly know what to do in these situations, Lord, because we're so close to the Holy Spirit and we're hearing his voice. And one other thing I'd like to share that, that's really kind of a little bit off from this, but just the last three or four weeks, um, I, I lead a prayer line at 7 a.m. Monday through Friday, and the Lord has just been talking to me about the, our heavenly prayer language, about praying in the Spirit, and about needing that, that supernatural wisdom and the ability to pray out the supernatural will of God uh, in, in these days that we live in. And, and Father, I've I just been hearing it and hearing it and speaking it out on the prayer line. And today, uh, um, on Billy Brim's prayer line, she just went on about that for almost an hour 
about how the Lord was dealing with her and, and, and to tell the people on the prayer line that they need to be praying in the Spirit. They need to be praying in the Spirit. And then I got a letter from Charles Capps Ministries today, and the whole thing was on praying in the Spirit about the days we live in and that we need because that praying in the Spirit builds us up. It strengthens us. And that, and that Father, it said that when we pray in the Spirit, we pray out the will of God, the supernatural will of God. And so I thank you. God bless you. I hope you were blessed by this tonight. I know I was. And uh, God bless you all. Oh, we were definitely blessed. Richard, can you hear me? Yes, I can. Yeah. Oh, definitely blessed. And, you know, when um, just now when you're talking about praying in the spirit, I've been hearing that too because in the spirit we can just pray and we know that his will is being prayed and and that is definitely something that I know personally I've been doing more more of just knowing that his will, his perfect will goes forth when we pray in the spirit. So I definitely concur with that. And I just want to say, Richard, wow. The way you taught tonight is such a beautiful picture of grace. And I know I I had looked at David's life before, but I think maybe in segments, you know, just to look back and think about the fact that he did sit and while he was with, you know, just out in the pastures meditating on the word, he did have the word in his heart when he chose sin. Yes. But when you even just pointing out, you know, that there were people and and that the Holy Spirit or that God was pointing out to him chances. He had chances to pick differently. Yeah. And he yeah. didn't. Yet God's grace you know, when Go he on. had a chance yeah. again, right? When he had a chance yeah. again and, and Nathan pointed out again, a friend pointed out, hey, I love the way you tied that together. I had never tied his life completely together that way. Yeah. And it's such a beautiful picture. And then Deuteronomy, um, that 17, is it 17, 14? That yeah, 17, 14 through 20. Yeah. Yes. I had not seen that scripture jumped out at me. and I, I never really noticed it before. Yeah. That it was actually explicitly there yes. that kings yeah. were not to take multiple wives. <laughs> that could have saved them a lot of trouble. A lot absolutely, of absolutely. You know, and, and and you find that it happened with Solomon. He ended up being building uh, temples to uh, uh, you know to foreign gods because his wives uh, you know brought him away. But he had, he had a thousand. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines, you know, but he had learned that from his father. He had learned that growing up in the palace. And all these, all these women and all these children, I mean, God, there must have been, you know, how many hundreds of children living in that palace, you know, uh, all of them, you know, children of the, uh, of the king, you know, but all of them, you know, vying for, you know, power and vying for, you know, attention and, uh, uh, I mean, it, it, you think about the mess that, that that kind of thing would create, you know. I mean, it's just, uh, 
Right. No time really to spend with your family, right. with your children. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. You're right. I mean, God made such a beautiful design. One man, one woman. Yeah. yeah. Together with him. Oh, Richard, thank you so much. That was that was really wonderful teaching. And Kim and I are so thankful that you honored us with your presence tonight and with your teaching. We bless you. We thank you. And all of you who are on, thank you for being on the call tonight. And and, um, I'm just so thankful we can be together and continue to stand as relationship game changers. You know, I know God is using each of us in different places. And just as Richard said, you know, staying prayed up, staying in the word, and just standing for those things God stands for in all your circles of influence. You are a relationship game changer. And just coming on as we connect um, with one another in prayer and just connecting and teaching, um, I'm just so grateful that you're here tonight. And I know you'll want to listen to this again, so I want you to know you can um, call the replay line, which I'll give you. And then also we take this and put it on Spotify and really any podcast. It, it goes out on the web. So if you like to listen in your car, it will be on the podcast uh, probably by t- late tonight or tomorrow morning. But I want to go ahead and give you the replay number. That is 605-475-4980. And the access code is 341-000-POUND. And the reference number for tonight is 138. Well, I just thank you. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. God bless you. And thank you, prayer team and, and everyone who's joined us. And we will see you on the call next week. God bless you. Praise God. God bless you. Bye.